If you've been with us, with us, you know that we've been in a study in John's Gospel, chapter 13 today. Last week, we came across a very shocking story in Scripture where we see that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And it's startling news. The disciples at the moment, they don't know who it will be. John does because he's close to Jesus in proximity. But they know as they're sitting there, something's about ready to take place. They're just unsure, but Jesus is going to die. Now, Jesus says something more troubling. He's leaving. In verses 31 through 35 of chapter 13, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, Scripture said, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him once. Little children, that's a precious word, little children, yet a little while while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just for a moment, if you would, imagine that you're in this group that are around Jesus. You've been with him three years. You've heard him talk about going to the cross and uh, that he is going to be betrayed. And he says, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. Understand this, he says, before I go, you understand they're afraid, and rightly so. Jesus is the glue that holds this group together. He is the glue. Now these disciples, they are shaken, and they are uncertain with questions. And when I thought about this passage, I thought about the role of parenting in the role of being a dad and a father. It's interesting what Jesus says. What does he say? My little children, my little children. He's gathered uh, about this table. We looked at that last week. It's a triclinium. It's uh, like a U-shaped couch. And in that moment, he takes on the role of a dad, of a father around this table, around this area. Kids that he knows are troubled, kids that he knows that are worried, kids that he knows are anxious, they have questions, and their faith is being tested and shaken and he addresses them like a dad. And you know, think about in your own life the seasons of parenting if you have children. If you think about the seasons that you've walked your children through, uh, your children have gone through circumstances of fear and you've helped them process the realities of life. But today, just to be honest, right from the beginning, in all honesty today, is would you help me out with this? Is that when you were little, were you afraid? Of the dark. Can I just see your hands? When you were little, you were afraid of the dark. I see a lot of hands, okay, that in the night you, you were afraid and you wanted that nightlight. Now, this can take a little more honesty. Who would you say in this room, a little more honesty, you're still afraid of the dark? Okay, not as many, but we do have some hands that are here. You're still afraid of the dark, you know. How many of you, though, you still have a nightlight, right, you know? <clears throat> so, Growing up, I had a nightlight as well, you know, in that you ever woken up and seen the many shifting shadows 
Or how many of you, after a birthday party of one of your children, had a balloon floating around the house and thought it was a person's head? You ever had that before? That's freaky, is it? Oh my goodness, somebody's here. You know, it's just a balloon. It's drifting through the house, right? Freaks you out. Well, I remember one night when I was sleeping, I was in middle school, I had the top bunk of the bunk beds, and my younger brother was below me on the bunk bed. And I remember one night that my mother came running into, the, into my room in the middle of the night, and she said, what's wrong? And I said, I had a bad dream. I'm not sure. She said, you're okay. You're safe. And she said those comforting words, and she said, I got up out of bed because you yelled, in the name of Jesus! And then she heard a big boom, and I had literally thrown the ladder off the bunk bed across the room. I had very... Must have been a spiritual dream or whatever. <laughs> Another occasion, I remember, I don't remember much, but I do remember my father picking me up because even though I had that ladder with the rail that came across, you know, that was removable, I actually flipped over that in the night and landed on the floor from the top bunk, and my dad came and put me back into bed. I'm sure the words of our parents come back to our heart and our mind when we have gone through fearful and scary and anxious thoughts and feelings. That is the role of Jesus here as he is talking to his disciples, little children. He's speaking to them. He knows that he is there to calm their fears. He knows the disciples are hearing things. There are struggles to process. They have questions. and They can't put together all the pieces. He knows that he's looking at a group of people whose faith is shaken, if you look at it. The question for the disciples is the same question that lies before me and you today. And it's the question, what will sustain you when your faith is shaken? What will sustain you when your faith is shaken? I think this is a great word for the day we live in now. What is sustaining you today when your faith is shaken, when your fear is mounting, because life puts you in all sorts of circumstances that you and I can't anticipate. And we get the answer to that incredibly important question in Scripture, and Jesus has promises that he wants to give to us, and he responds to the disciples' questions as they sit near him. And good old Peter is the one to ask the first question. And it says, and Jesus said, a new command I give to you to love one another. And if you do that, all people are going to see that you are mine and that you're my disciples. And the way they treat one another and the way that they love one another will be a sign. But Peter doesn't hear any of that because verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? It's like, hey, Jesus, you lost me. At I'm leaving this new commandment. He says, you, you lost me. I didn't even hear that. Uh, wait just a moment, because I have this question. Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? What a Peter question. I will lay down my life for you, he says. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then he says these words that we hear so often, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, because in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, 
what I have told you, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going." I want to just bring out three promises, direct promises that God gives us from this portion of our text today. The first promise Jesus gives is, in response to people's question, is the promise of a place. Here's Peter. He's processing Jesus' departure and his own anxiety inside of his life. And Peter responds, Jesus, you won't die for me. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to go to the cross instead. That's what he's just said. I don't need a savior. I will save myself. You know, I kind of picture Barney Fife. Anybody remember Barney Fife here? My whole body's a weapon, you know? You know, that's just kind of what he's saying here. And uh, you haven't seen nothing, Jesus. I've got this. I, I'm going to take them down. Just, just point me in the right direction, Lord. This isn't just Peter's response. It's human nature's response. Jesus, I've got this one. Jesus, if we need a hero, pick me. I can fix this. And you know, this is so much a part of human nature and the human psyche for sure. You know, we know this because it's like Halloween. There will be thousands of kids dressed up like Iron Man, Superman, Spider-Man, and Thor, right, all together, and they want to be the superhero, right? And I think that's always wonderful, but you know, even when Eli Manning played, nobody wore his jersey, right? We want heroes, you know? We, we want to be heroes. We want to be the winners. At least we dress like it. They don't sell jerseys for people who don't score points. They ship them to other countries. I've been to other countries, and I've looked at jersey. I'm like, I don't even know who that player is. Turn around. Who is that player? Because they didn't score a point, right? Peter's like, Jesus, what jersey do I need to wear? I play for the winning team. You need a hero, Jesus. Look no further than me. This is what Peter is saying. It sounds on the surface so noble. I'll fix it. I'll die for you. I'll do this. But Jesus is the only one that can fix it. Jesus is the hero. This, the Bible really is an old Western. There's only one person who gets to wear the white hat. There's only one sheriff, and his name is Jesus. He's the hero. He is the one that is able to save all of humanity and bring restoration and bring reconciliation, to bring peace between God and man. man. And Peter's like, hey, I, I can clean myself up enough and I'll fix me. But it's only Jesus who can clean us up. Peter, you, you don't know this, but you make a really lousy self-savior. Because when push comes to shove, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Jesus, what he's doing, he's just merely pointing out an example of Peter's future, but it's true in every single one of our lives. Anytime we try to be our own savior, we end up disappointing ourselves and disappointing the people around us and alienating ourselves from God. Have you ever found that to be true? It really is true. It's true for us. It's true for our human nature. And this is the response that comes so many times when our faith is shaken and there, there are these circumstances we can't control, we can't even anticipate, and Jesus says, I save you, you don't save me. Which leads him to this first promise. 
And it's the promise of a place. And Jesus is saying, you want something that will sustain you in the midst of what you're going through and in you not being able to be your own savior, it's reflecting upon my promise of my word and it is a promise of a place. Look at chapter 14 and verse one. Let not your hearts be, what? Troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Jesus is saying, what is the antidote to your fears? If your heart is troubled, where do you run? If your faith is shaken, where do you turn? Jesus says this, the first place that you turn is to a promise. Believe in what? He says, believe in me and what I am about ready to do. Believe in me. And he gives us a few things in this. First, believe that in my father's house, there's room for you. There's room for every single person. There's room for you. That God has a place for you and for me and for all of humanity, for all of eternity. There's a room for you. And I don't know about you, but that causes me to live in great comfort, right? That we're just not going to heaven, right? And we're going to live on a cloud, right? But that God has prepared a place for us in heaven, He's preparing a place for us. There's room for you. There's comfort in that. Now, the word room is the noun form to abide. What does that mean? He says, I have living rooms. That's the word. I have many living rooms for you. That you and I, he says, you're going to abide with me. And this is going to be one, one amazing place where a living room is a place where we abide together, don't we? That as we go, we have communication, we talk, we do life together. That is what God is saying here. I've gone to prepare a place, and it's a abiding place, and it's a living room, that this is God's house and not God's hotel. How many of you know that, right? We are going to live with him forever, and you and I are going to have our own room. Amen. He's saying, I have a place for you to abide with me for all of eternity. You're going to be with me, and we're going to be in, 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 together, and you're going to be in my presence forever. He also says, I go to prepare a place for you. How? He gives his life. When Jesus goes to the cross, he goes there to make room for you. When he says, it is finished, he says, your place is prepared for you, and Peter if I go, will I not come back to get you? Peter, yes, I'm leaving you. No, you can't come with me now. Yes, he's telling his disciples, you will be scattered, but don't let sorrow, don't let fear, don't let your shame produce an unholy turmoil in your soul. Don't be troubled. If there's something that uh, causes me great concern in the day and age we live is that people are placing fear above their faith in God. 
And we have never been called to live that way. Amen? So that means the people that live in fear haven't let God's perfect love come in and push out the fear that is there. Are you with me? I think we as believers need to be bigger than our fear and be people of faith in these days. Can I hear an amen? And not allow what other people say, even sometimes believers, that want to bring more fear. They want to talk about more fear than their faith in God. That's not in Scripture, right? Why? Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't let these things of the world that are soon passing away trouble you. We realize, well, our sin has been atoned for, and Jesus is the Lamb of God about to be slain. Jesus is getting ready to become a curse for us and bear our condemnation. Death is to be defeated, and Jesus is about ready to give his life and to take it back again. And we see this. Jesus is going to return for his own. It's going to happen. Would I have laid down my life to leave you? Not a chance, Jesus says. If I go, I will return. You know the way which causes great concern for Thomas as he begins to speak up. Thomas is the next one to ask a question, and it's the next place we get a promise is we get the promise of direction. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said this. This is how you can know. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? and the life. That's how you can know the way. That's the second promise. He says, I'm going to give you a direction. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've known me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him, Scripture says. You say, we know the way, but we're clueless about the way. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. He's saying this. I don't know even where we're to go, Thomas is saying. I don't even, God speaks to our heart in this passage concerning a plan, and he speaks to us concerning our future. He gives us direction to where he is taking us. Did you know that you are on a journey? I'm sure that we did. But he's talking to Thomas about his future that we understand that God has put dreams and expectations in every heart. And we're starting to move down the path of faith only to realize many times he never gave us a map to where we're going. Right? Like, why am I here? I mean, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do next. What, what is one, two, three? How do all the dots connect here? You say you called me somewhere, and I don't even know how to get there, Jesus. What Thomas is forgetting is what we often forget many times, is that Thomas knows Jesus, and if he knows Jesus, Jesus is the map. And he gives him a destination that he can get you there, and, and Jesus tells Thomas, I am the way. I am the, I am the way to truth, I am the way to life, I am the way to God, so I'm your compass for wherever you need to go, I will lead you because I will be your direction. I am the map. What that means is so often is we are, 
we are stressed and pressed and we start looking all around for a map, you know, I'm, I'm going to read this book and I hope that this, will, this book will show me, this help, self-help skill will, will help me and, and uh, maybe I'll go ask this person. And we at that moment need to turn our focus on him and if I will learn to look to Jesus, we're going to be okay. Because Jesus never leads us in the wrong direction. But it's in those moments where we're discouraged, we're reminded of putting our hope in God. Why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. That you speak to yourself, you speak to yourself, come on, come on, John Miller, put your hope in God because God, you are my salvation and you are the lifter of my head. You are the way and you are the truth and you are the life. Jesus says, first promise, there's a place for you. Second promise, I am the direction. Philip comes and he chimes in in verse eight, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? You still don't know me. And he goes on, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And the words that I say to you, I don't even speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, he says, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. That whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Which leads us to the third promise, and it is the promise of supply. It's the promise of supply that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples and to us. Philip is saying, you know what we really need? Help us, Lord, just give us a little bit more revelation. Uh, really, Jesus, we're worried that you are not enough. I mean, if you're saying you're going to leave, we're just a little concerned here, Jesus. You're, you're not enough. It's, it's, not, it's close, but it, it's just not over the top. What Philip is putting on display right here is sadly where so many people live they have spent so much time around the things of God. They become so familiar to them. And so many then become an armchair critic of God. The God, you're so close, but it just for me, it's just not enough to put me over the top that really I need more. I, I need more. You know... God, I got this one thing that if you could just change us about Abundant Life Church, that I would be convinced if they could just preach the book of John just a little bit quicker, I'll be convinced. And so the move of God around us then becomes so many times unimpressible. Jesus, just do one more thing, and for me, that would seal the deal. You've been with me the whole time, Philip. 
You, you have seen me perform miracles. You've been with me when I raised the lame, when I raised the dead. The question is, when you survey what God is doing around you, is it enough for you? That's a question for us today. When you survey what God is doing around you, is it enough for you? Or do you constantly find yourself not impressed like, God, you could do better? And so many times we suddenly grow cold to the things of God. But rather, God, look at what you're doing in this city. God, God, look what you're doing in my own family. God, that is amazing. Look what you have done in our own church. Thank you, God, for, for doing this. Thank you for changing lives. Like yesterday, we had celebration of life for Wanda Lina Weaver, who was such a faithful servant of, of the Lord. And, and through it, I'm going to tell you, for those of you that are here, I heard so many talk. I felt like we had Sunday service on Saturday. It was such a powerful time of worship and praise and honoring her life and giving the Lord thanks. And, and through that, five people gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ yesterday. God is doing something great. Amen? Don't be unimpressed with what God's doing. Be impressed because God is doing great and mighty things. That God really, I don't need one more revelation to be impressed. Lord, I'm already impressed because you're God and you're God alone. Amen? You are enough for me. What I think many times is people want heaven on earth. Well, let me tell you something. If you had heaven on earth, why would you want to go to heaven? Heaven is so much greater than what we can even see and feel upon this earth. Sometimes we just get a little bit of that. Just a little. Why? So that we hunger for something greater, something more, his presence. God, you are doing something far greater than I can see. Works that you are doing that are so great. And you've called me, Lord, because now that you've gone to the Father, that you're going to work greater works through me. That's his promise. That, yeah, there are greater works that God is doing. What, what about the person today in the parking lot serving that helped get you to your parking spot? Amen? Yes, that person. That's who I'm talking about today. Amen? That's the person that's the person, the people that come early on Sunday morning that are setting up the classrooms in the children's ministry, the, 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 the adult this morning that are holding the child. Yes, greater works. Come on. Hey, are you with me, church? Greater works. Come on. Come on. Greater works to the greeter. Amen? The person that's setting up to the person that's tearing down. It's not just the people that are on the stage. It's those that are in the classroom. It's those that are behind the scenes. Yes, greater works. That's who I'm speaking about today. Those that are serving. Those that are loving. And, and, and that's the promise of supply. Don't ever forget it. There's a promise of supply that's far greater. And as, as your life is oriented around Jesus and exalting Jesus, the works of Jesus will then accompany that. That whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. The, that prayer is exceedingly powerful and uh, totally underestimated many times in our own lives. That if, 
if you will move your prayers, and we will move our prayers, this is what he's saying, in alignment with God's word, there's nothing that God will not do. Amen? That it's his plan, that it's his map, and he's the compass, and his word is the direction, that if I move my prayers in alignment with God's word today, which is absolute truth, he says, there's nothing that I will not do. It's just amazing. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to perform the impossible. I'm going to work it on your behalf. I know the ladies are going through this wonderful study and reading the book and 100 Days of Prayer that, uh, that I hear some ladies today even talk about it, that they're leading up and preparing even for the, the lavish conference. And, and ladies, I want to encourage you today, if you haven't signed up, I want to encourage you to sign up today and be a part of that conference um, that there's something that many of you don't get the uh, inside route on that, but my wife leading the women's ministry here, I see the inside route in her and her leadership team praying and planning. They're praying and they're planning for you. Why aren't you here? For you. No, I'm talking to you today, women in the house. For you. For you. This isn't just for people that are you know, down the road, it is for them, but it's for you, the planning and the prayer that your life would be changed, that we would become more like Jesus together. When you pray in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean just tacking on Jesus' name at the end and say amen. Are you with me? But hopefully that reflects the heart of your prayer that is about Jesus and what this life is all about, more of him and less of me. And Jesus says, that's a prayer that I will hear and I will supply every single time because he says, I'm good for my promise. Disciples, turmoil, three promises Jesus says in this passage I give to you. There's a place for you. There's direction for you. And the promise of God's supernatural supply that will never run out, ever, ever, ever. It's the promise. It's the promise that he's given to us today. So he's saying, you know, let not your heart be troubled because there's a place for you in my Father's house. Let not your heart be troubled because Jesus prepared the way for you. He's opened the way and he is the way. Let not your heart be troubled because Jesus himself is your dwelling place and he will come and take you to himself. Let not your heart be troubled because Jesus and the Father are one so that if you have Jesus, you have the Father. And then this message of what I'm going to get to in two weeks is let not your heart be troubled because Jesus has come through the work of his Spirit and he is with you now, and he will be with you always, not as an observer, but as a helper to you and to me. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the promises that you have given to us in this passage. The promise that he... You've given to your disciples 2,000 years ago are good today just as what 
as it was then. That you tell us, believe in you. Lord, I pray that the sound of my voice today that people will believe in you. That individually we have to come and make that choice that we truly believe in you, Lord. We believe in you that there is a place that you have prepared for us and you've told us, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. When there's the promise of direction you've given to us that you are the way and the truth and the life and God, you have the plan and you are the map. And Jesus, you're the compass to lead us to the place that you have prepared for us. And then the promise of supply, Father. We can ask for anything according to your will in your word and in the name of Jesus. And you have promised that's a prayer that you will supply. Father, I just thank you for that today. I thank you for the promises of your word that you are good for. To not let our hearts be troubled. Father, I I, I speak this morning faith over this church. I speak faith in the name of Jesus over this church. A faith in you. A strong faith in you, Lord God, that would rise above the fear, the lies, the noise, the deceitfulness of the enemy, of other people, Oh, God, I pray right now that your perfect love, Lord, would drown out every bit of fear in Jesus' name. That our hearts don't need to be troubled. That we don't have to worry because you are in charge and you are in control today. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord God, that we can be people that are confident in your truth. That you're the God that supplies You're the God that directs, and you have given us an eternal home to abide with you forever in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.